Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We have begun a new series called Anointing Oil, which is a series on the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jaren Nicholas shares with us on how the anointing is what empowers us to be witnesses for Christ here on earth. He encourages us to desire this anointing in order for our lives to be power-packed and effective in pointing others to Jesus. Will you quiet in your hearts and allow God to speak to you today? Hello everyone, I'm Jaren and it is very exciting to be joining you again. Uh, uh, it is such a privilege to be gathered here together in the name of our God. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I'm going to start out with a quick word of prayer and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for this privilege to gather in your name today. I ask that um, you will uh, calm my nerves and you will settle my body and that uh, you would uh, give me the words to speak, Lord. And that um, uh, what uh, I speak and what I share, Lord, is uh, what you have for us today. It's what you have for us to listen. It's what uh, you want us to uh, ponder over in our minds for it to be imprinted on our hearts, Lord. So just give me uh, the right words to say. Uh, keep me from saying anything that's uh, uh, on something that's on my own, but help me to be sensitive to what you have for us and to be open to what uh, you are going to speak for. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today we are going to start with a question. The question is, why do we need the anointing? As uh, Gershom pointed out last week in his sermon, uh, the anointing is synonymous with the, the Holy Spirit. So the question, in other words, is why do we need the anointing or why do we need the Holy Spirit? To arrive at a conclusion or to arrive at an answer for this message, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Uh, we're going to look at the lives of uh, two figures from the Bible. The first one is Elisha, uh, a prophet Elisha from the Old Testament. And the second one is Jesus. So... I chose these two figures because um, as I was researching for the message, I came across an article that drew parallels between Elisha and Jesus. And I found the article very interesting. I think this uh, parallel between Elisha and Jesus will hopefully help us answer this question. Um, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Uh, we're going to get started, dive into the story of Elisha to start out with. Elisha's story can be found mostly in the book of 2 Kings. Kind of starts out in 2 Kings chapter 2. So uh, background here, Elisha is, uh, you could say, a disciple of the prophet Elijah. So uh, what 2 Kings 2 picks up is it is the day Elijah is supposed to be taken up. Okay, So God has taken him and uh, that's where we that's where we find ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 2. So on this day, Elisha is by Elijah's side the whole time. 
he will not depart from the side of Elijah. So now Elisha and Elijah together. And finally, they end up at the Jordan uh, River. This is the location where uh, God is going to take away Elijah. So both Elisha and Elijah come to the Jordan. As they come up to the Jordan, Elijah stretches out his cloak and the Jordan separates and they walk on dry ground across the Jordan. Now, after they walk on dry ground, across the Jordan, Elijah asks Elisha a question. And the question is, uh, is there anything I can do for you? To summarize. And Elisha seizes this opportunity and utters the famous words, uh, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Okay. So then Elijah looks at him and says, this is a hard thing you have asked for. However, if you see me depart, you will receive it, so you will have gotten it. If you do not see me depart, then the answer is no. So, but lo and behold, Elisha does see Elijah be taken up. Okay, so now, so now, Elijah has gotten it. So the answer is yes and not a no. So now, as Elijah, as Elisha has seen Elijah, uh, he's gotten his answer, and now he takes over this uh, prophetic office vacated by the prophet Elijah, and now he is prophet Elisha. Um, so just going off on a tangent, um, the word double portion, right? So it could it could literally mean double portion of Elijah's spirit. Uh, also, but something I find that was interesting as well, that it could, what it likely means is that it, Double portion refers to uh, the blessing of the firstborn son that you see in the law in Deuteronomy. So the firstborn son was guaranteed a double portion of the inheritance from the father. So in this case, there's nothing physical for Elijah to inherit from Elijah. However, uh, it is a way of asking him to be the true successor of Elijah, just like a firstborn son would be the true successor to the father. So in so Eli, what Elijah could be asking is that make me uh, your true successor. So and we can see that's what happened, right? So he does become the true su- successor to the prophet Elijah. And so this is so you could also see this as uh, Elijah being anointed because he's taking over this prophetic um, office from Elijah. And there is evidence of this anointing uh, right away after the events that uh, where Elijah is taken up and Elisha sees him depart and he has confirmation that he's going to be able to take over uh, this prophetic office from Elijah and that he has the double portion. Um, he returns and now the Jordan separates for Elisha. So then he walks across on dry ground. And as we go through Second Kings, it is just filled with these stories of the prophet Elisha. Uh, lots of miraculous stories. So now um, the prophet Elisha, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we will see the evidence of this anointing as uh, we quickly go through the stories of the prophet Elisha in Second Kings. So... And it, we'll also see that from the stories that the Spirit is empowering um, 
Elisha for this role of being a prophet, uh, whether it is uh, in the miracles that he does that he does to help people, or it's in uh, conveying any, um, or communicating any warnings or joys about the future, or even if it is. Uh, uh, speaking and convicting people about the sin or idolatry. So all of these are part of his office of being a prophet. So in the second Kings three chapter nine through 12, uh, the, the story, um, we have a story where the, where three Kings are, have been marching for seven days. Uh, they're on a campaign against the kingdom of Moab. And on this campaign, they're marched for seven days and there is no water, no water for the soldiers, no water for the animals, no water at all. So they decide let's, uh, inquire about a prophet. So they ask around and eventually word gets to them that Elisha is here. And so they go to Elisha and they inquire of the Lord or ask him what is going to happen. They have no water. They're on a campaign against Moab. They want to inquire of the Lord through Elisha. And then uh, Elisha says that the riverbed or stream bed that is there will be filled with water uh, without any rain. And that the God will give the kingdom of Moab into their hands. And uh, he said that. So let me read you. It says, For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. The next day, the riverbed, the dry riverbed is filled with water without any rain. And indeed, um, uh, the Moabites are defeated. So now moving on again in Second Kings chapter two, Elisha goes to the city of Jericho. Okay, when he gets to the city of Jericho, the men of the city uh, come to him with a difficult problem they have. Um, they say that, behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. So they have an issue with the water in the city. Either it's contaminated, diseased, it doesn't specify, but the water is bad. So Elijah tells them to bring a bowl, put some salt in it. And Elijah takes this bowl over to the spring and dumps the salt into the spring. And he declares the spring healthy and uh, healed. And he says that there will be no more death nor miscarriage that comes from the spring. And the water from their day on is healed. So the contaminated or diseased water is no longer contaminated or diseased. It is fit for drinking. It is good water now. Bad water has been turned to good. Keeping in mind as we go through this, these are all things that are happening because Elijah is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So now we come to another story in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. So a widow comes to Elisha and she says that her husband is dead, but he seems to have left a lot of debt. She says the creditors are come to her and in lieu of the debt, they want to take her two children as slaves as repayment for the debt. That is a very hard thing. I can imagine being a parent, being in that situation, a widow whose husband has passed away, comes to the very sad situation and she wants assistance. She wants to save her children. So Elijah asks her simply, what do you have in the house? 
So she says, I have a jar of oil. So that's that's all she has in the house, a jar of oil. He tells her to gather as many vessels as she possibly can and start filling them with this jar of oil. And then, okay, so she goes and gathers as many vessels from her neighbors, from anyone she can find. She gathers these vessels and she starts filling them with oil. Okay, And then once she's filled her last vessel or she's out of vessels, uh, the oil she has runs out. So now she goes back to Elijah and said, and says that I have filled every jar I could find with oil. And Elijah replies, okay, now go and sell this oil and pay off your debts. And with the rest that you have left over, take care of yourself and your children. So a woman comes in this dire, sad, desperate situation and Elijah helps and empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is this miracle where this oil is multiplied and it multiplied so much that it not only pays off the debt that she has, but there's a lot left. There's enough left over for her to live on with and her children. Now there's another story in Elijah's life about a, a Shunammite woman. So Elijah and his travels uh, travels to this through uh, this area called Shuman. And anytime he's there, um, he uh, rests in this house of the Shunammite woman. So she has, it, it says that she had invited him for meals. And because he goes through here so often, the Shunammite woman decides to build him a room on the roof, a covered room with a bed and a lamp, so that uh, anytime he's there, he'll have a place to rest. Now, Elisha, seeing all the trouble that they've gone through, to be hospitable to him, to be kind, to take care of him, he asks her what he can do for her. Can he speak to a king? Can he speak to a general? And what the woman says is, I do not have a son, and I would like to have a son. And Elisha responds, next, this time next year, you will have a son. So, and that's what happens. In a year's time, she bears a son. Okay? Now, there are two more stories with the Shunammite uh, woman that I'm going to kind of club together, even though it's later on in Two Kings. So, so this lady gives birth to a son. And uh, as this, once the son has grown older, he goes out to meet his father in the fields. And while he's in the field, he falls ill very suddenly. Uh, the text says, he cried out, my head, my head, and became very seriously ill. So they take her son back to her house, and the son is laying on her lap and passes away as she is holding him on her lap. So once the son passes away, what she does is she takes him to the upper room that they built for Elisha, lays him on Elisha's bed, and now she leaves the house on a mission to find Elisha. Okay. So long story short, there's lots of details in the story where first Elisha sends his servant and but nothing happens and Elisha comes himself. But okay. So she goes to find Elisha. Long story short, Elisha comes to the house, lays <clears throat> on the dead son. And the dead son is raised from the dead. Life returns to his body. And then, so again, a third story with the same woman is uh, 
Elisha tells her that there's going to be seven years of famine, that she needs to go somewhere else where there's no, go anywhere else but here. And because there's going to be a famine, goes to a place where you'll be provided for, and then you can return. <clears throat> so she heeds, excuse me, she heeds Elisha's warning. She leaves. And then when the famine is over, when the famine is over in seven years, she comes back. And when she comes back, everything that she left and she lost is restored back to her. So again, Elijah functioning in the empowerment of uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next one, so there is this group of men called the Sons of the Prophets. So this is kind of like a, called a prophetic guild of some kind um, or a prophetic order. Um, when I read about it, what I understood was that um, they were are probably a group of about maybe a hundred men or less. They're almost like Elisha's uh, community. You might even call them as Elisha's disciples. And he decides to um, they decide to have a meal, so they have a large pot brought out, and they decide to prepare a stew for all of them to have. So. In preparing a stew, one of the sons of the prophets goes out in the fields, uh, finds this wild vine growing, and this vine has gourds on it. He decides, okay, these gourds look good. Let me take a lapful. So he gathers these gourds. He has a lapful of them, goes and puts them in the stew as part of the stew. So once the stew is prepared, people taste the stew, and their response is, they cry out and they say there's death in this pot. So from that, I'm gathering that there was something wrong with this too. My guess is that these gourds were poisonous because they are specifically mentioned. So there's death in the pot. Um, Elijah says, bring me some flour. He throws some flour into the pot and declares it well. And then they continue eating it. So this deadly stew that they prefer that they prepared has been changed to a good stew that is no longer death, but life. This is 2 Kings, verse 1 through 7. The company of the prophets, or uh, the sons of the prophets in other translations, said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the, into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God, Elisha, asked, where did it fall? Then when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said, and the man reached out, reached out his hand and he took it. So we have an instance where they need a larger place to meet because the one they're in is too small. So they decide, let's go to the Jordan, cut down some trees for wood so we can build a larger gathering place. And then Elisha says, go. And they insist that Elisha accompany them, and Elisha goes with them. So as one of these sons of the prophets was chopping down a tree, his axe head comes off, 
the handle, I'm guessing, and is flinged into the Jordan River. And as we know, iron is denser than water and it follows the laws of physics and it sinks. After it sinks, the person cries out that um, it is borrowed. So it is not his personal asset. He's apparently, he has borrowed this to use to cut down trees. So he needs help. So Elisha comes to the scene and asks him, where did it sink? He said, over here. And so now Elijah cuts down a stick, throws it in, and defying the laws of physics, the iron acid flows to the top of the water. This person picks it up and retrieves it. So here, Elijah, empowered by the Holy Spirit, does this miraculous thing. In 2 Kings um, chapter 8, so one of the works of a prophet is many times to anoint kings or say who is going to succeed a king. And so that's what we're going to talk about here. So the first instance, it's not even an Israelite king, actually. So an officer of the Syrian king, his name is uh, Haziel. So he comes, his king is sick. So he comes and the king sends him, sends Haziel to inquire of uh, Elisha if he is going to live or die. So Haziel is just is an officer of the king, or in this case, a messenger is coming in. So when he comes to inquire of Elisha, um, Elisha weeps. And when he inquires as to why he is weeping, he tells him he's weeping because he has seen what uh, Haziel will do to the people of God, how he will... Um, the atrocities that he will commit against the people of God. Um, so, and looking at those sad things, Elisha weeps. Till ha- uh, and then Haziel asks him, how can I do such things? I am not king. I'm not a great man. And then uh, Elisha responds, uh, your king will recover, but he will die and you will be king. And lo and behold, uh, Haziel goes back. Uh, the king did recover, but uh, Haziel murders the king and becomes king himself. In Second Kings chapter 9, we see Elisha uh, sending word to anoint a new king, uh, Jehu, as king of Israel. All these things uh, he has done uh, empowered to the Holy Spirit. So he, the Holy Spirit has empowered him to, to perform that role that he has as prophet. Um, whatever um, that entailed the Holy Spirit was empowering him to um, be a prophet. So now coming to the New Testament, uh, again, so we're doing Elisha and Jesus because um, there are a lot of parallels between them. So we're going to we go through the life of Jesus. We look at some of the parallels that seem to be between Elisha and Jesus again. So now looking at the life of Jesus. Um, we want to start at his uh, baptism or really his uh, anointing. Uh, similar place as, uh, actually similar place as Elisha because Elisha was uh, anointed uh, by the Jordan River because he was anointed when Elijah was taken away and he received the prophetic office from Elijah. 
uh, same way uh, Jesus is here in the River Jordan uh, to come and meet uh, John the Baptist, to be baptized by John the Baptist. So as um, Jesus is being baptized um, in Luke 3, we know that the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit uh, descends on him in the form of a dove. So he this he is being uh, anointed here because the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit anointing synonymous. So the Holy Spirit is descending on him, and this is the anointing of Jesus. Uh, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. So this is his anointing as he is being baptized in the River Jordan, and the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends on him, and uh, and God speaks out and calls him his beloved. And so, uh, as you look at Luke's gospel, uh, there is a heavy emphasis on the role of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. Uh, I think it's something that, uh, at least I uh, seem to frequently overlook, uh, that Jesus himself was empowered by the Spirit, as we see that here he is clearly anointed. And uh, in Luke uh, Luke 4, once, this, once he is baptized and anointed, Luke 4 starts out uh, with the phrase, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So here Jesus is being led um, to, into the wilderness where he's going to be tempted very fast, and then he's going to be tempted at the end of that. So again, this uh, uh, the phrase is used that he was full of the Holy Spirit, that he was led by the Spirit, and then in verse 14, again, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in Galilee. And then furthermore, in verse 18, so Jesus here, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to pro proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So again, Jesus himself, the first uh, sentences he utters in the synagogue, uh, as he reads from scripture, is the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Again, you see that, you see the anointing being anointed and the spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Jesus, very synonymous, right? So, so now once Jesus is anointed, um, in the River Jordan, then he begins his ministry. So his ministry starts with this anointing. His ministry starts with him being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then his ministry starts. And just like in the life of Elijah, this is evidenced throughout Jesus' ministry. But uh, we'll look at a just a few examples that are like parallels um, to uh, Elijah. Um, so the first parallel clearly is the Jordan River, right? Both were anointed in the Jordan River. Both were taking over from their successors. So Elijah from Elijah, uh, Jesus uh, from John the Baptist. So keeping with the theme of uh, uh, nature in a sense. So Elijah, the miracle was uh, the dry riverbed filled with water without rain. Uh, here in Luke 5.11, we see that Peter was out fishing, but uh, with no luck, he has not caught any fish. Jesus instructs him, 
go into the deep and cast in us. And then Peter is like, I've been out here all night. I've done everything. But he does go into the deep, cast in that, and they catch so much fish that uh, their nets begin to break. So, and then uh, thinking of Elijah with the, the bad water in Jericho and how um, the miracle was that he made a good water, uh, kind of similar to uh, Jesus in John chapter 2 when he said the wedding at uh, Cana. Um, so he said a wedding with his uh, mom, Mary, and the hosts uh, run out of wine. And so Mary asked him to help out. He's reluctant at first, but, uh, or it seems like he refuses her at first, but then he goes ahead and um, instructs the servants to fill six stone jars with water. These are large stone jars that I kept for like um, ritual purification or purification rites where like uh, people wash their arms and legs before they come into a house or something um, for that sorts of uh, need. So they fill these tall stone jars, six of them with water. And then he asked them to serve this water. And when it is served, it is wine. So water has been turned to wine. And then, so, um, <clears throat> kind of going along with uh, how Elisha helped that uh, widow whose husband had had died and left her with debt, and she was at risk of losing her children. Um, we have a widow here, Jesus, in the town it's in the town of Nine. Um, he comes upon a funeral procession, so he finds out at the funeral procession that it is the only son of a widow. So he has compassion on her and he raises her son from the dead. So again, in all these things, these miracles, Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, in then we move on. So we see Elijah as uh, multiplied these 20 loaves, uh, or the Spirit empowered him to multiply these 20 loaves and some grain here in Luke. Uh, chapter 9, verse 12, we have the famous story of Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000. There are five loaves and two fish, and Jesus multiplies uh, the small five loaves and the small two fish to feed uh, 5,000 men. It was likely more than 5,000 because the text seems to be specific that there were 5,000 men. If you account for women and children, more than 5,000 people easily, right? So, then... Uh, um, moving on, uh, this one is interesting. Uh, you could consider it a direct parallel or not, uh, but uh, just like the acts have floated and defied the laws of physics or the laws of gravity uh, or the laws of density, whatever law that uh, came into question, in uh, we have this instance where in Matthew chapter 14, 22, uh, Jesus is on the shore of the lake and um, he sends his disciples out on a boat and tells them to go out on the lake and he stays back on the shore. Um, he stays back and then he spends some time in prayer. After he's done praying, he comes back to the shore and he says that the boat has been moved by the waves of the current and it's so far away from the shore. So Jesus uh, simply walks on the water and goes out to meet them on the boat. So it's not really 
metal floating on water, but Jesus clearly is walking on water when we know that it defies nature as well. So, and then uh, uh, another parallel, just like uh, Elijah uh, weeps when he, when God uh, or reveals to him the future of his people when Haziel comes to him in Luke chapter 19. Verse 41, when Jesus returns to Jerusalem, he weeps for Jerusalem as well. Uh, he, and he foretells the destruction of, because he can see the future destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. This uh, eventually happens in AD 70, but uh, Jesus could see it and he weeps. So uh, another parallel. Now, and. Another thing that, so as far as deeds were concerned, we can see that uh, there are parallels between Elijah and Jesus. Uh, the Spirit empowered Elijah, did these works. The Spirit empowered Jesus, did these deeds. Um, but another thing about Jesus is the Spirit empowered him in word as well. The things that Jesus spoke were Spirit empowered. So, and uh, for instance, when you look at the Beatitudes, right? Uh, he, Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So, uh, I'm guessing if I was in the crowd, I would be like, clearly these don't seem to be blessed, poor and hungry and weeping. But these are. Uh, Spirit-empowered words, right? Telling people about uh, a new reality, telling people about the kingdom that Jesus is establishing on earth, the kingdom of God being established. How it is a alternate reality, a new reality. Um, and then he, furthermore, in that same uh, progression from the Beatitudes, goes on to say, um, "Love your enemies, uh, be good to those who hate you, turn the other cheek." do to others as you'd want them to do to you. Clearly, not human words because it just doesn't seem normal to us, but these are spirit-empowered words by Jesus. So here, just looking at the ministry of Jesus, we can clearly see that he was empowered by the Spirit in word and in deed. So just like Elijah was empowered to... Um, for this role of his prophetic office, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, for his role of being a prophet. Uh, Jesus clearly is empowered by the Holy Spirit for his role as the Messiah or the or the Anointed One. And it is it and and the, when you read the beginning of Gospel, when you read uh, the beginning portions of Gos of the Gospel of Luke, you clearly see. That as the emphasis that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. So now as we look at both the lives of Elijah and Jesus, um, we looked at um, most of 
the events in Elijah's life. Uh, and we looked at just a few of the events in Jesus' ministry. We know uh, the miracles that he did were far more than the few that I've mentioned. Um, but I wanted us to get, looking at their lives, I wanted us to get this notion that the Holy Spirit is active and not passive part of their lives in Elisha and Jesus. He is active. He is constant. He is constantly empowering them. So like Elisha and Jesus are constantly empowered by the Spirit to fulfill their roles, to fulfill their role as a prophet, to fulfill their role as the Messiah. So that's the, so. looking at these examples, uh, more than just an exercise in just looking at the miracles or what they did, it is to grasp this idea that the reason for this is because the Holy Spirit was active in their lives, not passive, active, constantly empowering them, empowering them to carry out the roles that they had. Now, so now looking at all of this, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for me? So they clearly needed uh, the Spirit to fulfill their roles as the prophet or as the Messiah. So now what about me? So we have so many roles in our lives, right? Um, several roles, several hats that we wear. Uh, mother, father, wife, husband, grandparent, child, professionals, business owner, uh, creator, influencer, um, whatever the case, we all have several roles that we, uh, that we take on. And then we need the Spirit's empowerment in all of these roles. But um, I would like to focus on what I feel is one of the roles or the one role that is common to every um, follower of Jesus. It's common to every believer in Christ. And <clears throat> what I feel like that one role is, is uh, to be a witness. So uh, before his ascension, um, we know before his ascension, Jesus clearly tells his disciples that um, they are to be his uh, witnesses and that they will be empowered um, and they will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses and to go out into the world and to be his witnesses, witness to what he has done uh, for us. So I think this is the one role that uh, as followers of Christ that is common to all of us, that we are, that we have a role uh, to play as witnesses to Jesus. So, and in order to fulfill this role as a witness, we need the Holy Spirit because even during, before the ascension, Jesus puts them together, right? Be a witness and you will get power from the Holy Spirit in order to be a witness. So we know that um, in order to be this witness, we need uh, the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit to be witness. So we are to be the anointed followers of the anointed one and so anywhere you are present um, you are the anointed followers of the anointed one so anywhere you are present you are a witness uh, to this new reality found in christ you're a witness to jesus so <clears throat> um so as followers of jesus we are indeed anointed uh, we have the holy spirit we are empowered by the holy spirit uh, just as we saw in Elisha and Elijah, the Holy Spirit is a constant part of our lives, a constant active participant in our lives. Now, will his empowerment 
always look like it did for Elisha and Jesus. Uh, it certainly could. Uh, however, um, kind of want to shift our focus a little bit. You know, our, I know the focus seems to be, at least when you look at the lives of Elisha and Jesus, the focus is on the miraculous. Uh, I, however, want to shift our focus to what I call is the mundane. So we, we know that we are spirit-empowered followers of the anointed one. We are the anointed followers of the anointed one. And uh, now, with that in mind, I want to shift our focus from the miraculous to the mundane. And I kind of want to ponder out loud uh, with you on how the Holy Spirit can constantly empower us in the mundane to be witnesses of Jesus. Um, so this is kind of what my thoughts were. So when you walk in into a family or work situation that is filled with strife and the Spirit empowers you to bring peace into that situation, uh, you are a witness to Jesus. Uh, when if there is hate and the Spirit empowers you to walk in love in spite of that hate, you are a witness. Uh, when there is poverty or lack and the Spirit empowers you to give, um, you are a witness. You, all these things, relationships, uh, talking to people, being present in difficult situations, they may not seem miraculous. They may seem very mundane to us, but these are the very situations that sometimes fill our lives. And these are the very situations that we need uh, the Holy Spirit to empower us. We need the, the Spirit to empower us so we can, even in these difficult situations, we can be a witness by, because the Holy Spirit has empowered us. And even something as parents, even when our children, um, they snap at us because they have no self-control, or they speak to us uh, lacking any grace. And at that moment, when empowered by the Spirit that we have self-control, empowered by the Spirit, we respond to them in love and, and in grace. We are witnesses there to Jesus. Even in those what we may see as mundane interactions, everyday interactions with our children, because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can be witnesses even in those short moments. So we, or when a coworker is discouraged and you empowered by the Holy Spirit, encourage that coworker, you are a witness to Jesus. So we need the Spirit uh, to be witnesses. And we, we know he's a constant active participant in our lives. Now, and so now let's seek him to empower us um, in those, in the mundane. Let's seek him to empower us in the everyday things that we do. And uh, so that we can be witnesses of Jesus. So why do we need the anointing? We need the anointing. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to empower us so we can be witnesses to Jesus. And so now... Um, let us go and be the anointed followers of the anointed one. Let me go ahead and uh, close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, uh, first of all, thank you for keeping me calm and settling my spirit uh, so that uh, um, I could uh, hopefully communicate uh, what you have for us, Lord. Father, I ask that we would be mindful, Lord, that we would be mindful that uh, we need the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives, Lord, that it is not just uh, the miraculous of the Holy Spirit is present in, but Lord, you are present in the mundane. You are present in every day. You are present, you are present in every interaction, in every interaction we have with our children, with co-workers, with strangers, Lord, that in those interactions, uh, empowered by the Spirit, we can be witnesses to you, Lord. So Father, we ask that you would help us to seek the Spirit, uh, seek His uh, empowering presence as we um, look at those interactions with other people in a different light. As we look at those interactions as uh, ways of witnessing to you, Lord, as ways of showing uh, those people a new reality found in you, Lord. So, Father, we ask that you would empower us, that your spirit that is present in us would empower us in everything that we see mundane, so that even in those simple mundane things, uh, they can be turned into something miraculous because uh, we are witnessing to you uh, through the power of your spirit in those situations. So, Father, uh, as we close, as we go out, help us to be mindful that you, your spirit, is in us, is active, and is a constant participant in our lives, and help us to acknowledge it and live in that empowered state of the spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, Whoever finds Jesus finds life.